right into the Word. If you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 both this morning and if the Lord wills tonight as well. I'm not even going to attempt to get through the entire message today. We're just going to find a good stopping point and, uh, and pick it up tonight. Uh, but I do believe the Holy Spirit spoken this to my heart. Uh, I don't often, normally I'm up here. And when I'm up here because I'm worshiping, I'm a little self-conscious about what people are doing. So I learned a long time ago to close my eyes. So when I'm up here and up front, I close my eyes. I never see what anybody's doing. I never see what anybody's not doing. So it doesn't really make a difference. And normally even when I sit out with Tammy, I keep my eyes closed. But for some reason this morning, I felt led to keep them open. And to be honest, I'm heartbroken. I sat in the back and watched most of us just get through worship. And I remember a day when people just... And I'm, I'm, please understand, man. Some of you are saying, I was worshiping with all my heart. I know that. Man, I thank God for that. But as I sat in the back... Such a spirit of heaviness I felt over me because I, I watched people who used to worship with all their heart with an abandon. For whatever reason, just not. <laughs> I don't know any other way to say it. I know that if we wanted to, we could come up with a thousand excuses as to why we didn't and why we don't. And all those excuses would make sense and sound good. But I'm just going to be, I'm going to be pastor today. None of those excuses work with God. They're no good. We can't come in here on Sunday morning, and you can't do that at any church, by the way. You can't go into any church on Sunday morning and just sit down in a chair and stand up and expect somebody, whether it's Kenny or me or whoever you want to name, the band, some other preacher, pastor, prophet, evangelist, teacher, whoever they are, they're not going to just throw something out there that everybody can just grab hold of and run with. What? And I know I'm being told everywhere I turn. I know generations have changed. The church has changed. The world has changed. And some of those changes are fine. Some of those changes we can adapt. I don't care how much technology we get. That's fine with me. I don't care what methods we use. That's fine with me. As long as the message and the core beliefs stay the same, I care less about all that stuff, one way or the other. Doesn't matter. Never has. Don't now. But I'll tell you one thing that's never going to change. My dad used to preach it years ago. You will get out what you put in. You will not get out what you don't put in. So if we come to church and we have not prayed up before we got into this place, there's no amount of gyrations we're going to do in the midst or not do in the midst of a service that's going to make. About the time we get to the place where we're starting to get in, then, then it's time to move on and do something else. If we haven't prayed up, if we ha and listen, if you don't have time to pray up, please, this altar's not here so that we can have this big open space just because it looks good. To be honest, I'd rather do something else with it if we're not going to use it. If this altar's here, so that we can come around this altar and come into the presence of God and begin to cry out. Guys, those kids that we just had up here a little while ago, they're getting ready to walk into a school system that if you've been out of school for the last... 
10 years, you don't have any clue what they're getting ready to walk into. Things have drastically, drastically changed. They're walking in and facing things that in my day you never had to face. They're the precious treasure that we have. We don't have time anymore to sit back in our houses and spend all of our time on social media and on our phones and watching television and then acting like it's a great big deal to us that we have revival. If we can't get off of TV and off of social media and off of our phones long enough to get on our face and seek God, then stop lying to yourself and telling yourself that it's a big deal that we have revival. It'll become a big deal when things begin to change in our lives so that we're willing to pay the price to get before God and see what revival, see revival in our lives. There are people in this room today, look, I know you're broken. I know there are things going on in your life, but used to when people were broken and things were going on in their life, that drove them to the altar. That's what caused them to get up and seek God and cry out and believe God. And you know what? When they did, things happened. Now we can't even move ourselves to have enough energy to even do the least. I'm not... Oh, folks, if you know me, you know I could care less how you worship. I don't care about the mechanics. I don't care if you do it in the back, do it in the front, do it on the side, do it in the seat. I don't care if you bow down, jump up and down, run around the building, yell, scream, or don't say a word. I don't care if you cry or if you laugh. I'm not here to legislate how you worship. I don't care what the methods are, but I've been around long enough to know that there is a difference between worshiping and not worshiping. Worshiping is more than singing songs that are on a screen. It's more than mouthing words. Worshiping is more than showing up and sitting in a chair. Worshiping is engaging your heart before God and saying, God, you really are a good, good father. You really do love me. Lord, that's all that really matters in my life. Everything that I was thinking about before I walked in here this morning, the fact that you're my father changes everything. It really is well with my soul. I'm going to let go today of the things that I walked in here with because you know why? You have the choice. You see, it's one thing. I can stand up here all day long and preach and preach and say, listen, we have victory in Jesus. We have power in Jesus. We put faith in God's Word and everything begins to change. But but listen, that's all fine until you have a problem. But if you don't, when you have a problem, grab hold of everything that that Word says, then listen, we're missing the boat. We're just talking a talk. We're playing a game. It's not real. Anybody can do that. Even the demons themselves believe in God so much that they tremble. So the fact that we believe in God means nothing. It's what you do with that belief. How committed are you to that belief? How much are you willing to let go of for that belief? As far as my part, don't think I'm upset. It's easy for me. I mean, the, the less of a demand you put on the Spirit of God, the less, less things I have to do. It's easy for me, man. I can sit back and relax, coast. No big deal. You know, you don't, if we don't put on a demand on the Spirit of God, nothing's going to happen. If we don't put a demand on the Spirit of God, just things are going to get smaller and smaller. It and smaller. just gets easier and easier for me. Less stuff I have to do. So, you know, hey, I'm not complaining for my part. It gets real easy for me when nothing's happening. I just sit back and relax. I got more time to read. I like reading a lot. But it's not good for the church. Because churches die like that. We got to put a demand. And listen, I, I, I have come to the point where I do realize something. I've always believed it and I know it to be true. 
The one thing that will change a church. We can do a lot of good things. I'd love to. You know what? If somebody wanted to lay down a million dollars, any of you in here got a million dollars, the Holy Spirit moves you, lay it down. Church today, we'll do it. You lay down a million dollars, listen, we'll, we'll build a new building. I'd love to have a brand new building, high-tech, state-of-the-art. I'd love to have a nice paved parking lot. We wouldn't have to worry about ruts, rain, whatever. We'd be done with it. I'd like to get me one of those high-tech signs with a digital messaging, you know, that comes in. I could even put a nice little funny saying on it every week. And, you know, we, we, I, I'm all for that kind of stuff. Man, I, I love it. Yeah, don't think I'm a problem. I'd love to do every bit of it. As far as I'm concerned, we can turn. No, I, I won't do that because I know some of you wouldn't know what was going on if we did that. But we, as far as, we got laser lights up there. Man, not laser lights. We got strobe lights up there. We can put strobe lights on. We can have smoke come up when... I think it would be cool if I walked onto the sage and all of us came on smoke coming up in here. I think that would be cool. It would definitely be different. Man, I talked to a guy when we were up at the hospital, Albert and Debbie and I, the other day. He's the facilities director of a big 6,000-member church in Bowling Green. They have a stage that has a trap door. And their whole band can go down and come up. I thought, man, we could. would that be nice when it's time to start worship? Nobody can see us and all of a sudden here comes the floor with smoke and the whole band comes up and lights. Man, I do, I, I'm not, some of you may, oh, I hope you never do that. It's kind of unlikely. But you know what? If I'm, I don't care. Man, if that would draw one person into the church to hear the gospel, I'd do it all day, every day, and tie a bell around my neck. Whatever I have to do to get them in makes no difference as long as the message stays the same. I don't care. But let me say something. We could do every single one of those things and then some. And if we don't start seeking after the heart of God, none of it's going to matter. Because the only thing that really makes a difference is, is the Spirit of God given access and freedom into our individual hearts to do whatever He wants to do at any given time. You say, well, I, I'm more concerned about the church. No, 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 listen. A church is a gathering of individual believers coming together for a corporate purpose of praise. So if in the church collective gathering... We are to have an open air atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is allowed to be everything He wants to be and do everything He wants to do. That means individuals have to come into this place and say, God, I don't care what it looks like, sounds like, feels like. All I want is you. And I want everything you are and everything you want for me. And if it costs me everything I've got, if I have to, listen, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. If it means I have to change everything about everything about the way I do life, it's worth it just to have everything you want. Now, when we get to that place, and, we're, and listen, you won't stay at that place automatically because the enemy in your flesh is always going to try to keep you away from it. So if you're willing to stay at that place by crucifying the flesh day after day and staying in the presence of God, you know what can happen? We can have what I call revival. And I, when I call it revival, I'm not talking about any type of manifestation of worship or anything else. Because You know what? Here's the thing. As far as I'm concerned, we could all come in here and nobody say a word. Everybody fall flat on their face, not move for an hour and a half, and just cry. But if we get up after we've done that, and husbands treat their wives better, and wives treat their husbands better, and parents treat their kids better, and kids 
respond to their parents better and and we go to work and we're a better employee or a better employer because of it and we care more about our neighbor who doesn't know Jesus so much so that we're willing to reach out and actually say something to them and 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 share the gospel with them and and the habits and the attitudes that we have in our life that we know are wrong but we just keep putting up with if we actually allow the Holy Spirit to do something about it then we have had what the Bible calls a revival I don't care what it looks like I don't care what it sounds like I don't care what it feels like but churches all across America today are struggling with the same thing we've become as the people of God so familiar with the things of God that we think we can just walk in and walk out and not really do anything and God's just going to automatically do whatever we need and I'm telling you if nobody else will tell you I'm going to tell you it does not work that way it never has how many of you remember the days when the altars were full? And I'm not even just talking about our church. But you remember the days when the altars were full, people were crying out, seeking God. Didn't it make a difference? How many of you know it made a difference? See, I grew up with that. I know it made a difference. It's going to take nothing less than that to see the difference we need to see in our nation. And to see the difference we need to see in our churches and in our families. This that I want to read to you today and share from today kind of goes along with that. It may seem like a strange text, But it's what the Lord put on my heart. I want you to look in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. This comes right on the heels, by the way, of John the Baptist has been beheaded. And the disciples find out about it, and they come to report it to Jesus. Now remember, John the Baptist and Jesus were not only flesh and blood cousins, but John the Baptist was his forerunner. He was the first to acknowledge this is the Lamb who takes away the sins of the earth. They were friends, and now he's dead. So verse 13, Jesus, when he heard it, departed from there by a boat to a deserted place, a solitary place. He wanted to be alone otherwise. Jesus needed to be alone. Jesus needed a moment. He needed some time to digest what had happened to his cousin and the one he loved. And he didn't want anybody else around. You remember that Jesus was fully God, but he's also fully man. That's why the Bible says that he's been tested and tried in every way we have been, yet without sin. So he knows what it is to feel sorrow. Jesus knows what it is to feel grief. Jesus knows what it is to feel pain and betrayal and rejection and loneliness. He knows. So he needed to get off by himself. So he went off to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. Somebody found out where Jesus was. And even though Jesus needed a moment, he needed to be alone. He needed to spend time With his heavenly father, he needed to digest what had happened to his friend and his cousin. He needed to deal with that. The crowds followed him. Jesus said he often looked at the crowds and he had compassion over them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They needed help and they needed protection and they needed healing, but there was nobody to help them. The ones that were supposed to be their helpers, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, they had just become all about themselves. It was all about building up their base of power and their base of support and their reputation. And, and they had no life to them, so they couldn't help. So Jesus had great compassion. And even though this is a time when Jesus needs to be to himself, the multitudes, and that doesn't just mean 10 or 12, it means thousands, came and followed him to where he was. And when Jesus went out, He saw the great multitude, and look at this. He was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. I want to tell you something about any move of God. If you, now listen to what I'm about to say, because we can hear this and say, yes, amen. But if you want a move of God, you're going to have to digest this. 
If you're going to have a move of God, you have to be willing to be inconvenienced. And if you are not willing to be inconvenienced, you will not have a move of God. You have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone and be willing to be uncomfortable to have a move. Jesus had gone off, why? To be by himself. Jesus gave his whole life to the multitudes and he wasn't going to stay there forever. He was going to go do it again. He was going to go off and and minister to them again. But he went off to be by himself. But he didn't get to be because the multitudes followed him. But when he looked at the multitudes, he saw such a great need that instead of being aggravated, instead of being irritated, instead of being frustrated, he had great, not just a little, but great compassion. matter of fact, the word is he was moved emotionally with compassion towards the multitude. And all of a sudden, Jesus just let go of himself and everything that he had gone up to be by himself for, and instead, he reached out, inconvenienced himself, and healed their sick. If you want a move of God, you have to be willing to be inconvenienced. If you are not willing to ever be inconvenienced, we cannot have a real move of God. Somebody said, well, I wish we'd have revival. Well, what if revival looks like so many people being at the doors of this church so hungry for God that they show up every night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and they want to hear God, and they line up here at these doors. What does it mean if that means somebody's got to give up their Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night and show up and minister to those? That see, see all, do you know now do you know what I mean? See, if we're not willing to be inconvenienced, we have to settle for a life without the move of God. If we're not willing to step out of our boxes, our routines, the things we've become so comfortable with because we can be moved with compassion at the need of people, then we're going to have to be willing to settle for life as it is, status quo. And you say, well, how do you know a revival won't look like? I don't know that that's what revival will look like. I'm just saying, what if it does? I talked with somebody just yesterday. They have, uh, the, the gentlemen, they have three services on Sunday morning. So many people come out, they have to have to, to get everybody in, they have to have three services on Sunday morning. Well, now that may sound fun and good if you just come to one service and go, matter of fact, that might be more convenient for you because now I can choose one of three times and I can go to my most comfortable time where I can get out and get to the restaurant exactly when I want to. But what if you're on the praise team? What if you're an usher? See, that stuff still has to go on, doesn't it? What if you're doing sound? What if you're teaching? What if you do kids' church or nursery? Oh, I want revival. I want the church to grow. Well, what if that means you have to get here at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning and you don't get to leave until 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon? Do you want it to grow that bad? Do we want revival that bad? Do we want to move it? Now, think before you speak. God takes those things seriously. Are you willing to be inconvenienced by a move of God? Because if you're not, you won't have one. We'll go on with status quo. Jesus, when he saw the multitude, compassion moved him. Even though he had gone up there to be alone, he stepped outside of that and started healing their sick. Are you willing to step outside of yourself? Am I? 
See, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to you. Guess what? God's going to have to do a little stirring in me if I want to stay at church from 7 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You understand? I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to me too. Are you willing to let God pull you out of the comfortable routine that we've got established in in order to see God change people's lives? When it was evening, verse 15, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place. Why is it a deserted place? Because that's, remember, that's where Jesus went to be alone. He had gone to a deserted place. It's just that everybody followed him. Now, here's what Jesus could say. Well, well, let's finish reading, then I'll tell you what he could say. This is a deserted place. The hour's already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the village and buy themselves food. Otherwise, hey, Lord, nobody's eating. We're out far away from, from the nearest town. We need to let them go now if they're going to be able to eat. Jesus could have said, it's not my fault. I didn't ask them to come. Matter of fact, I didn't want them to come. I came here by myself because I wanted to be by myself, and they just showed up. There was no invitation. It's their fault. They should have thought ahead. They should have packed a lunch. It's their fault. Guess what? That is exactly what I'd say. That's the way I'd reason it, see? I'm not anything like Jesus sometimes. That's exactly what I'd say. Well, if they would have been smart, they would have planned ahead, packed a lunch. That's not what Jesus said. Now, that's the way his disciples thought. His disciples thought, get them out of here. (laughs) I don't want to deal with this problem. Isn't that the way it is in our lives sometimes? We just don't want to deal with people's problems. I mean, I understand. we got enough problems of our own. We don't even really want to deal with ours. If any way possible, we'll bury ours in the sand and act like they don't exist just so we can avoid dealing with a problem. We'll, we'll run a thousand miles to keep from dealing with a problem. We'll turn over ten times a Sunday to try to, to keep from admitting that there could be a problem. Even in our own lives, much more deal with anybody else's problem. And if there is a problem, we want to admit there's a problem, then we'd sure love for somebody else to deal with it. Because we don't want to deal with it. we got enough on our plate. we got enough stuff going on. You know, there's something amazing about something. The more you reach out and care for other people, the less your problems seem to be as big and bad as they did before. Brother Parrish used to always tell a story about somebody who came to him really upset about a situation in their life. And instead of dealing with that situation, the pastor looked at him and said, well, listen, there's a a lady in the church that needs, you know, going through a tough time. Why don't you bake a, can you bake, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I bake real well. Everybody knew she baked real well because she always bragged on how well she baked. So said, so why don't you take them one of your famous pies? They could really use that. And then, then come back and we'll talk about whatever the problem is. So she did. She was a little upset at the pastor for not talking to her about her problem at the time. But she went and baked a pie and took it over there. Well, the pastor never heard anything from her for about a week. Finally, he went back to her and said, I never heard back from you. said, well, you know what? I went and baked that pie and took it over to my neighbor, and I got to talking to her and realized what a mess she was in, how terrible she felt. And you know what? I felt so bad about her. We got talking about some other people in the church and realized there are a lot of people going through hard times. So I went and started baking pies for everybody. I've been baking so many pies this week. I got so busy, I forgot all about my problem. Now, whether the pastor intended to or not, That was great wisdom. Because it really does work that way. Give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. That works with money, but it's talking about far more than just money. Give of your time. Give of your love. Give of your compassion to others. And it will be given back to you. But they said the hour is late. Let's let them go buy some food. But Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, they don't need to go away. 
You give them something to eat. Now, I'm going to get real specific. Somebody walks into this church and they got a serious problem. Man, it looks bad. I might be the first one amongst you to say, Whew. And, and listen, I think it's wisdom. If you don't think you can deal with a problem, if you think they need better counseling than what you can give them, it's wisdom to say, hey, you know, you might need to talk to a professional about something like this. There's nothing wrong with that. But we should only do that after we've at first brought them before Jesus to see if they're willing to let Jesus have whatever's dealing with their life. They said, let's send them away. Let's let somebody else take care of their problem. Jesus said, they don't need to go anywhere. Can I tell you something? If you have somebody come to your house this week and they need physical healing, they're sick, you don't have to send them anywhere else. You don't even have to send them up here to Abundant Life. You can pray for them. You can lay hands on the sick and see them healed. Somebody walks into your house this week and they need deliverance, they're bound by some type of addiction or demonic activity, you don't need to send them away. You got power in the name of Jesus. If you begin to love them and care for them and counsel them and pray for them, God can do a miraculous deliverance in their life. And let me tell you something. If you pray for somebody like that and God does something in their life, and all, you know what that will do for you? All of a sudden you're going to realize what was true all along. This thing really is real. And God really did deposit something powerful in my life when he gave me the Holy Spirit. And greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And the next thing you're going to know, you're going to be looking for opportunities to instead of sending them away, saying, hey, I've got what you need. And that's really what Jesus said to them. You don't need to send them anywhere. They don't have to go anywhere else. You give them something to eat. But here's the problem. They said to him, well, we have only five loaves and two fish <laughs> we've only got enough for ourselves we barely got enough for ourselves we just don't have enough notice I think it's interesting they didn't say they didn't have anything and there's not a Christian that has any honor for God at all anywhere who would say well I've got nothing we all know we've got something our problem is we never think we have enough we always think we need, well, I'd love to do something, but I just need a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more knowledge. I need to spend a little bit more time in the Word. I, I just need another touch of the Holy Spirit. I need more anointing. I, I just need one more gift. I, we just need to have one more good service. If I, well, after I get back from that conference, well, I tell you what, I'll go talk to somebody, and after I get some counsel, well, maybe after somebody prophesies over me, if I can just get, and none of those things are bad, but we always amazingly think we need something else before we can be what God called us to be and says that we already are. An amazing thing about I was just reading today an amazing thing about Abraham before he had a child when he was childless and Sarah was barren he said to him your name will no longer be called Abram it will be called Abraham and the very next thing Abram did is he started going around and saying you call me by the name Abraham I am no longer named Abram I am now to be named Abraham do you know how crazy that sounded to the world around him he was saying hey listen everybody you call me a father of many when did he say that when he was a father of none God told him to and he believed it and he started saying to people even though there was no evidence of it God says I'm a father of many so you call me what God calls me. I'm a father of many. I'm not a father of none. And I'm sure people ridiculed it. And I'm sure people laughed about it. And I'm sure there were people who talked behind his back. But at the end of the day, what happened? He had a son. And he became a father of many nations. Why? Because he considered God faithful who promised. And the Bible said because he believed God, it was put on his account as righteousness. And he's called the father of all who believe. God says that you have 
Right now, today, as a child of God, filled with His Spirit, you have everything you ever need pertaining to life and godliness. God didn't say, you're going to get it, you need to get it, someday, somehow, I'll give it to you. He said, you have everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. But he said it's through these exceedingly great and precious promises that we receive. That means you've got to know what God says you have and you've got to believe it. And then there's another place where Paul told Timothy, stir up the gifts that are within you. You know why maybe charismatic pastors and full gospel pastors and people like that harp so much on this corporate time of praise and worship? It's not the end all be all and it's not all of our worship. But you know why it's, we seem to put so much emphasis on it? Because there's something we know. It's that when you begin to get into the presence of God and really worship, you start stirring up things within you spiritually. And when things start stirring up within you spiritually, they have a tendency of beginning to have an overflow unto other people. And therefore, an atmosphere in a building begins to change. And when the atmosphere in the building begins to change, there are people who came in here not even remotely thinking that God was going to do something in their life and maybe not even wanting it. But if an atmosphere in a building begins to change, it's amazing what God can do in a place just in a few moments' time. That's why, and listen, it's not just about church. We get up, you get, you wake up, anybody ever woke up depressed and you don't even know why? Did you know praise and worship will change that? Getting in the, what's the last thing you feel like doing? Praise and worship, that's the last thing. Oh God, I thank you. You feel horrible. Oh God, I thank you. But when you get in the presence of God and you begin to come with an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving before God and begin to worship Him, gifts within you begin to stir. And you begin to all of a sudden start thinking about who Christ is instead of who you aren't. And you begin to understand that who you are in Christ. And God starts doing different things in your life. He changes you. So Jesus tells His disciples, you give them something. They said, we've only got five loaves and two fish. Now here's the key to everything. Jesus said, bring them to me. Now, guys, here's where I think we really are. If you really want to know, where do you think we are as individual Christians, as a church? We're right at this juncture right here. God's given us great things. How many of you can honestly say God has really been good to me? I know God's given me great things. You've got what you need. thing is, you've got to give it back. <laughs> Every single bit of it. You got to trust God enough that you're willing to take everything you are and everything He's given you and put it back in His hands to do whatever He wants to do with. Because you see, as long as it's in your hands, it won't change anybody. It's there, it's real, it's genuine, and it's barely enough, it feels like, for you. But it's not going to change anybody else as long as it's in your hands. But if you'll bring it to Jesus. And we do that quite often through intercession, through prayer, through praise, through worship, through giving, through obedience. We bring it to Jesus. Everything begins to change. Old saying of preacher I heard when I was a young man, he said, little is much when God is in it. Those loaves and fish... Not a whole lot when you see how many people in a minute they had to feed. Matter of fact, it was nothing. But it was what they had. Can I tell you something? I've been in churches that 
the vestibule of their church makes our entire church building look like a tent. Not only is it that massive and that big, it's that elaborate and that magnificent. Say, don't you hate that? No, I think that's fine. They've got enough people, it's, that's fine. And when you go into their church service, you walk in, you begin to worship. And they've got full-time paid staffed musicians. Full-time paid staffed technology people. Full-time, every, every position you could ever imagine. You look in their kids' church room, and you think you just went into whatever that place is in Paducah, kids' zone. I mean, they've got the highest tech jumping, bouncing stuff, and the neatest painting on the walls, and, and, and high-tech gadgetry here. And You come into the church, and smoke comes up from the pulpit, just like I said, you know, at just the right time. And the, and the, and the keyboard is placed just the right thing at just the right time. And the preacher comes walking out almost like Trump did at the Republican National Convention. You see the shadow, and then here comes the preacher. And, and he's got like seven quick bullet points. He gets done in about 25 minutes, but it's been powerful, and people are flooding the altars and moving in the place then they get out and they have some really neat hors d'oeuvres and, and stuff like that you know just really neat little finger sandwiches and finger foods and, and stuff so that the, the preacher can meet any first time visitors who came in he spends about a couple of minutes with each one which is cool got nothing against that you can't spend 23 hours with each person or you'd be there for the till the next service next week you know but he says hello to everybody gives them a free copy of a book that their own internal church press press because they've got their own publishing company right there in their own church you go to the bookstore and the bookstore is bigger than our sanctuary and it's got every staff person's books and every praise team member's CDs that they put in there and you go in there you listen I've been to churches like that and they're awesome Woo! I don't hate them I love them I think it's great but it's very tempting if you're not in a church like that which 95% of churches in America are not like that remotely and when you're not a church like that, it's really tempting to look at the need and say, man, we got enough to get by. We got enough to survive. We got enough to, to get through. We got, but man, we just don't have enough to meet the needs of Calvert City. We just don't have enough to meet the needs of Marshall County. We just don't have enough to meet the needs of Western Kentucky. We just don't have enough to meet the great need of this nation. Who are we anyway? We don't have enough to do this. And, we don't, and you know what Jesus would say to everyone who says that? Don't send them away. You know, I mean, be tempted for us. Let, let, let mega, mega minister, mega church do it. No, no, no. He'd say, you can feed them. What you got? <laughs> well, we just got this. That's all we got. Well, bring it to me. There's the key. Bring what you've got to me. Put it in my hands and leave it there. Don't take it away. Bring what you have. Personally speaking, you may look at the need that your family faces, that your marriage faces, your finances face, a member of your family that's addicted and broken and wherever they're at in their face, and you look at yourself and you say, I don't have the resources. I'm barely surviving. I can barely keep myself intact. It takes everything i got to keep us four and no more operating on the same page. I, I've got enough stuff going. I don't even know where to begin to take care. I don't have. I barely am surviving. And God would say, what is it that you have? Bring it to me. Give it to me. And I'm about done, but hang on, because this is the part that makes us uncomfortable. And to be honest, this is why we don't bring it to Jesus. Because we know this is what he's like. Bring them to me. Jesus commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves, two fish. He took what they had, even though it wasn't enough. 
in the natural. He took what they had. And looking up to heaven, he blessed it. And here's the part we don't like. And he broke it. And we know that Jesus is prone to break, not in a negative way, but to do a sense of breaking in our lives. We need to be broken. Not in the sense of being broken like something that's precious has been broken and can never be restored, but in the sense that a wild stallion is broken so that he can become useful. For more than just running out in the fields. You know what? Here's the thing. There's too many Christians that are just happy to run out in the fields alone. We're free. Oh, it feels good to be free. I'm just running out in the fields alone. I don't want anybody demanding anything of me because I'm free. Hallelujah, it feels good to be free. Nice to run out in the fields alone. We're happy being free. Problem is we're not that useful. And Jesus is saying, if you want me to use you, you're going to have to be broken first. If you want my glory to ride in on you, you've got to be broken. So he says, take that that you have, however small it looks to you, put it in my hands. I'm going to bless it. That's what we need is that anointing, that blessing. But make no mistake about it, I'm also going to break it. You're going to be broken. But you don't have to be afraid of that because the Bible says that God loves a broken and contrite heart. It says he loves it so much, he literally runs to it. You've heard me say before, and I won't belabor the point, but they say that shepherds, if there's a lamb that has a tendency to constantly go astray, no matter what they do, the lamb keeps straying off from the rest of the flock. When it strays away from the shepherd, the shepherd's the only protection the lamb has. The lamb's so young it doesn't know it, but when it strays away, it's going to be prey to thieves or wolves. So if there's a lamb that continually strays, the only way to really protect that lamb is that shepherd will take one of the legs of the lamb and snap it, break it. Can't go anywhere then. But here's what the shepherd then does. He puts the lamb literally with in his cloak and he keeps that lamb right at his heart until the leg heals. And every day he's the one, the shepherd, who puts the ointment on the lamb, feeds the lamb by hand and keeps the lamb with him. You know what they say about that lamb? They say that once that lamb's leg is healed, it never leaves the side of the shepherd again. That that lamb outside of all other lambs will stay closer to the shepherd than anybody else. Because why? It's come to completely 100% depend upon the shepherd for everything. Now listen, I know the human spirit is independent. There's a part of us that if we really want to admit it, none of us will. We don't even like that idea. We don't want to be dependent on anybody for everything. We want to be self-reliant. It's within the DNA. That's why Adam rebelled and Eve rebelled and everybody's rebelled ever since. Even when it's good for us to be dependent, we would rather be self-reliant. But the Lord says, if you really want what you have to make a difference, first of all, give it back to me. I'll bless it because that anointing is what destroys the yoke. And then I'll break it. That's the hard part. But then I'll be right close to you and hold you right beside me. And then the next thing he does 
is the miracle. He starts giving it away to the multitudes. He starts giving it out. He gave it to the disciples first, and then they gave it to the multitudes. And look at what happened. They all ate. They were all full. That means they didn't just eat little crumbs because there was so little to go around. They all ate all they wanted. It's like, okay, we're going to the buffet, guys, and we're getting as many plates as we want until we can't eat no more. We're full. They all ate and they were filled. And look at this. They took up 12 baskets of the fragments that remained. What they start with? Five loaves and two fish. That's barely enough. I don't even know, quite frankly, if that's enough for the 12 disciples and Jesus. I mean, we're talking about men, we eat. And we like fish. Twelve loaves and two fish. Twelve baskets full after everybody had eaten and was full. Well, how many did they feed? Oh, just 5,000 men besides the women and the children. See, they didn't count the women and the children. So you're looking at probably 10,000 or more grand total. Probably over 10,000 people. Let your mind register that for a minute. Five loaves, two fish. Barely enough, if enough, to feed the 12 disciples and Jesus himself. Somebody wasn't planning well to begin with, in my opinion. That's like there's 12 of us getting together and somebody brings a salad. That will be the last day they're in charge of getting the food together. We appreciate your effort, but we want to get somebody else to do this job. But from five loaves and two fish, over 10,000 people are not only fed, but fed to the point that they are full and they have 12 baskets full left over. Well, that was the disciples and Jesus' lunch. Just my assumption. All from nothing. There's a scripture that says, Who has despised the day of small beginnings? You know how God actually does move? Over and over, it's both Old Testament and New. It says He teaches us line upon line, precept upon precept, here a bunch, and there, no, here a little, there a little. It says he moves us from faith to faith, strength to strength, glory to glory. One step at a time. That's the way he does. But if we are willing, whatever, and this goes individually, if you feel like you can't make it anymore, if you feel like you're, you've got so much on you, it's just too much for you, if you feel like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, if you're thinking that, I just don't have enough. Yeah, you do. You don't know how much you've got. If you'll take what little you think you've got and get it in the hands of Jesus and leave it there, let him bless it and break it, you got more than enough. It may be about your family. It may be about... Your workplace, you may be thinking, there's so big of a mess here, but Lynn, you don't even have any clue how big of a mess and what little emotional strength I've got, what little wisdom I've got, what little insight I've got, what little resource I've got. It's barely enough for me. I don't even think I've got enough to get my family through. Yeah, you do. 
You just take what little you think you've got and you get it in the hands of Jesus and you leave it there. You let him bless it. You let him break it. He'll put it back in your hands to start giving it away and you'll find out you got more than enough. If you ever look around at this church and you say, wow, I wish all these chairs were full. I hope you say that. For goodness sakes, if you're not saying that, what's wrong with you? Come on. I just don't want to say that because I don't want to be disappointed. I mean, we just don't have a whole lot to work with. I mean, for goodness sakes, we just got a little bit, and there's just a few of us, and we're just a small place out in the middle of a small place in the middle of nowhere, and there's just not much we can do. We're doing about the best we can. We're just barely surviving. I don't know if we got enough to do anything else. No! Take what little you feel like we got, and i got to do this too. It may feel like little, but little is much when God is in it. Take it and get it in the hands of Jesus. Oh, well, Liam, we won't put it in your hands and let you. Don't put it in my hands. I don't know how to do that. I've been doing it almost 27 years, and I still don't know how to do that. That's okay, Brother Lynn. I know what I'm doing. I'll take it now. No, don't put it in your hands either. I don't trust your hands any better than mine. If we're going to trust one set of hands, I'll trust mine better than yours because at the very least, if I'm going to be blamed for something, I'd at least like to be the one who did it. Now, the buck stops with me, and I'll take the blame for stuff I didn't do. I've done that many, many times, and I'll do it again. But if I'm going to get blamed, I'd rather be the one who did it to begin with. Makes me feel a little better. No, I don't want it in your hands. Not yet. I don't want it in my hands. Not yet. I want to take what little we got and put it in his hands. Let him bless it. Let him anoint it. And yes, let him break it. Then let him run real, real close to us and pull us up to his side and heal us. Then let him put it back in my hands and your hands. Then it's okay. Once it's anointed and blessed and broken and healed, then it's okay to get back in our hands. And then you know what he's going to tell us to do? What he always tells you to do. Go give it away. Go give it away. Ooh, let's put it right here. Let's build it right here at Abundant Life. Let's just put it right here. Let's build a big monument around it so that everybody can come see what God's done. No! Go give it away. Well, what if I lay hands on my friend at work and they get healed and then they go to the church down the road and sit at our church? Good! Praise God! They got healed and they got in church. Praise the name of the Lord. Well, what if I lead somebody to Jesus and they get saved and they'd rather go down to the church over there? Praise God! They got saved and they got in church. Hallelujah! I just trust God enough that if we're out there giving stuff away long enough that somebody else's, if that's what's happening, somebody else is going to lead somebody else to Jesus and they're going to say, hey, I love you a whole lot, but I visited Abundant Life and I like that. It's going to work out. God will take care of us. But let's get it in His hands. Don't give up because you look at what you think is little. God doesn't have to have a whole lot to get a whole lot done with that's true for a church, but that's also true for you. As I close today, there's a lot of you who feel like, you know, well, 
Lynn, I know you said earlier we need to worship and we need to pray and need to press in. That's the word that kept coming in my spirit, to be real honest with you, as we were worshiping and I was in the back today, is that we've forgotten how to press. We've forgotten how to press. If you've been around long enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We, we've forgotten how to press. We've forgotten how to, well, seems like it's just one of this another Sunday, you know. It's good. Praise God, I'm in church, but... It's just another Sunday. You, you, we used to know how to press. We, we used to know how to say, huh, I'm not settling for just another Sunday. Uh-uh. I'm pressing in. This is going to be a good day. I'm going to see it. I don't, nobody else around me may. I'm getting it today. I'm going in. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to press until he touches my heart. I'm going to press until I get through. I'm going to press. Anybody remember how to press in? Do you know what I'm talking about? That's the one thing kept going through my mind. We have forgotten as a whole. Now, I'm not saying there aren't individuals. I'm saying as a whole, we have forgotten how to press in. And listen, in your own spiritual life, you can get up and say, Lynn, I don't have the energy. You don't know what I battle with. You don't know how hard I work. You don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know the stresses and the strains. You don't know my bills. You don't know what I got. I don't feel, I can't, I don't feel like I can get into the presence of God at home. I try. And all these worries and stresses come in my life. I try to seek God, and I just can't seem to understand what the Bible, I go, and you come up with all the reasons that you can't because you feel like you've got so little. No, 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 no. Get what little you've got and get it in the hands of Jesus every single day. And if all you can muster is 10 minutes, then for goodness sakes, get those 10 minutes before God and don't leave until you can get those 10 minutes in. If all you've got is enough energy to, to, to read a little bit, a chapter or two in the Bible and, 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 and sing one song or listen to one word, then do it. Start where you are you can't start where you're not so start where you are God's fine with that just get started take what you've got get it back in the hands of Jesus and let his anointing touch it and let him break it then he'll give it right back to you after you're healed up being close to him and you will be amazed at what can happen with what you thought was so little. My dad's not here today. He's visiting with my brother. I was talking to my nephew when he was in a week or so ago. We were talking about mom and dad. and It's okay to honor my parents, you know. Should do that. My dad has an eighth grade education. He lived in the day where it, when you, as a boy, finished eighth grade, you left school and worked on the farm. That's what he did. Now, he could have gone back and got his GED. He could have gone back to high school, but he didn't. So he's got an eighth grade education. Mom quit high school. They got married. Back in that day, you did that a lot more than you do now. She was 15. Went off and eloped. My grandpa met my dad. He said, you got her. You better make sure you treat her right. Because if you don't, you're going to have to deal with me. Rumor is he might have had a shotgun, but I'm not totally sure. The week after, my mom died the week after they had celebrated their 53rd, I think it was, maybe even more, wedding anniversary. She did go back and get her GED and took some Bible college. Got her license to counsel. At the time of mom's death, mom had authored 
over 10 books, most of them children's books. Mom and dad together had pastored in double-digit churches in Illinois, Tennessee, and Kentucky, both under the Baptist denomination, the Assembly of God denomination, and independent. At mom's funeral, so many people came out of the woodwork that the family never even knew who they were, but they had been so moved by mom and dad's ministry or by mom taking the time to counsel with them that they felt like they had to drive from wherever they were to come to the funeral because mom and dad had made such an impact on their life. And it was almost always mom and dad. It was always mom and dad. They drove when they, before they were able to pastor, they drove a church bus. I remember getting in it, four-year-old kid. Now, back then, I thought nothing about it, but I know my daddy. I, get, I take a lot of things after my daddy. I know daddy hated driving that big old bus. I never thought about it at the time, but I know my daddy hated driving that big old bus. It, and I'm talking about a school bus, you know, the ones where you used to do the crank back and open the door and crank it back in. That was the coolest thing. I used to play with that during the week when I was home. Drove a church bus in the snow. Bringing people to church that couldn't get to church any other way. Where are you going with that? I was telling my nephew the other day. If you looked at my mom and dad from a natural perspective, just strictly a natural perspective, and you said, okay, here's a young man who has an eighth grade education then went and worked on the farm. Young woman who quit school at 15, got married, went back and got her GED and got an associate's degree in Bible. You would think all their marriage will never make it. You would think, oh, they'll never be able to really do a whole lot. And you know what? When it comes to mom and dad, they never had a whole lot of money. Never had a whole lot of the things of this world to show. But when mom died, the hole that was left in people's lives who she had touched you could literally, as family members, feel it. Now, i got a question for you today. They may not have had a lot in the natural that they felt like they could offer, but I'll tell you something about my mom and daddy. They gave every bit of it to Jesus. Every bit of it. Even as their son, sometimes I'd sit back and still to this day say, I wonder if some of the stress that mom went through was because she gave so much of who she was. There were times as family, I wish they would have pulled back just a little bit just to be gut level honest with you and not given quite so much of who they were, but they didn't care. They were going to give it all. Now you've got to, they could have sat back and say, I can't do anything. I can't pastor a church. I can't write a book. I can't lead a ministry. I can't lead a prayer meeting. I can't become a counselor. I can't drive a church bus. I can't do this. I can't do that. If anybody had a reason to say it, with all honor and respect, my parents had a reason to say it. They just refused to take that excuse, and they chose to give Jesus what little they had 
put it in his hands, let him anoint it, and let me tell you something, growing up in their house, I know there was a brokenness. It was broken, and then he gave it back to them, and then he still gave them a choice. They could either give it away or they could keep it, and they gave it away. You've got a choice in your life, and so do you. So do I. I can sit back one day, and I can have all kinds of things, and I can say, this is what all my life had, but there is nobody I have ever heard at the end of their life saying, I wish I would have worked at the job just a little bit harder. I wish I would have accumulated just a little bit more in my 401k. I wish I would have done one, built one more a bigger house or have one more TV but I have heard all kinds of people say I wish I would have valued my children more than I valued things I wish I would have spent more time with my grandchildren I wish I would have spent more time doing something that made a difference in somebody's life than spending all my time trying to take care of me because at the end of the day all the money and all the things in the world cannot begin to account for one heart that's been changed because somebody was willing to give themselves away and when the church stops thinking about everything that we can hold for ourselves and instead starts thinking about everything we can give to Jesus then the church of America can come alive again and we can't even begin to imagine what this nation would look like if the church of America really came to life and it can now that's the message God gave me today how to meet the need of this day I'll be the first to admit to you the need of our day seems great, seems drastic, it's overwhelming. And I admit that many times I'm tempted, both individually and corporately as a church, ministry, to look and say, wow, God, we've only got so little. What can we do? See, it's never been about what we can do. It's always been about what He can do with what we give Him. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't do it individually. Don't do it corporately. Don't do it as a family. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Just take whatever little you think you've got. I guarantee you, if you're a child of God, it's enough. Matter of fact, it's more than enough. Take what little you've got. Just get it in His hands again. Stop holding on to it. Give it to Him. Yeah, He'll break it. But you need it to be broken. But then He'll hold you close and heal you. He'll anoint it. And he'll give it back. And then, then you can be trusted to use it for his glory. That's what he wants to do in our lives. That's what he wants to do in our churches. That's what he wants to do in your family. You got enough. You don't have to send them away. Listen to me. You don't have to send them away. You don't have to get always some professional Nothing wrong with that, but understand, you've got what you need. Just get it in the hands of Jesus. Let him do something with it. I want you to bow your heads with me today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give this message to you. We lay it on the throne of heaven, and we just thank you, God, that you'll take it and do what you sent it for. Nothing is impossible with you. And everything is possible, you said for us, if we will only believe Father God, there's a great need ahead of us. There's a great need in front of us in our nation, in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and even in our own homes. But you have given us more than enough. Through your spirit that works in us, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you've given it to us. And Lord, we can take it and give it back to you. 
Leave it in your hands and you can do something. More than we could ever begin to imagine. You can take just a few loaves and a few fish and feed over 10,000 people with 12 basketfuls left over. Lord, you have never changed. You're still the same. You're not looking at what we have and what we don't have. You're just looking at a heart that says, Lord, here it is. Here's what I have. I'll give it to you. You do what you want to with it. You use me however you desire. But God, most of all, here I am. I'm not holding on anymore. I'm letting you have it. Just like the song we sing this morning, we're letting go. And we're letting you set us free. We're letting you take control of our lives. We're trusting you. Not only with our past and our present, but with our future as well. Father, I speak hope into this congregation today. I hope into families. Hope into marriages. Hope into individual lives. Lord, I speak hope into this church. Hope for this nation. Nothing is too difficult for God. Lord, we just pray in Jesus' name that you just help that flame of hope to come alive in each heart. Help us to be willing to trust you and get everything into your hands. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, the first thing is it all starts by getting your life in the hands of Jesus. And if you've never done that, if you've never given him control of your life, that's where it all begins. If you want to do that today, I can't think of anything I'd rather do than lead you to Jesus. If you need to give your heart to Jesus, let him have control of your past, your present, and your future. He's more than willing to take that heart and change it. If you need to do that today and you're in this room you never have or you've walked away from God, you want to get things right with God before we pray about anything else, would you lift your hand in this room? I'd love to pray with you. All right, then as people here who love God and know God, there are some of you who have just about lost hope. You look at yourself and you look at your family and you look at your resources and you're always talking about and always thinking about how little you have, how it's not enough. You don't have enough. The need is so great. I don't know what to do. I don't have enough. This word was sent for you today. Little is much when God is in it. Get it into the hands of Jesus. That's the only thing you can do. Get it in the hands of Jesus. Let Him break it. Let Him heal you. Let Him anoint and equip and bless you. And then He'll put it back in your hands and you'll find out when you start giving it away that it was more than enough all along. It just needed to be in the right hands. If it's all in your hands and not in His, it'll never work and it'll never be enough. But what He's deposited in you is more than enough if you'll get it back into His hands and let Him do what He wants to with it. If you've been feeling hopeless and if you've been feeling overwhelmed and if you've been feeling helpless, whether it's about yourself, whether it's about your marriage, whether it's about your family, your finances, your health, whether it's about the church, whether it's about the nation, you've just been feeling helpless and hopeless and discouraged and broken and all you can see is what you don't have. Guys, it's time to get our eyes off what we don't have and get our eyes on what Jesus has already deposited in us and get it back into His hands so that He can finally do something with it. If God's speaking to you today, it's time to leave that hopelessness and that helplessness and that discouragement behind and let Him have it and use your life again. The answer's in you. The Spirit of God is in you. And He's ready to do a great work. You just got to get it out of your hands and back into His. If that's you and you know God's speaking to you today, would you lift both hands toward heaven? We're going to pray a blessing over you before we go. We're going to believe God's anointing to touch and His wisdom in your life so that you can get that into the hands of Jesus. Let Him break it. Let Him bless it. Let Him heal it. 
and then give it back to you to use for his glory. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person whose hands are up in this room. Father God, I thank you. Lord, no matter how helpless they felt, no matter how hopeless they felt, no matter how discouraged and overwhelmed they've been, I thank you, God, that you're not looking for a lot. All you're looking for is a heart that says, here's what I have. I'm giving it to you. God, I thank you that as your children, you've already put within them everything they're ever going to need. And Father God, as they get that back into your hands, as you bless it, as you break it, as you heal them and get it back into their hands, I thank you then they're going to have the anointing and the wisdom, Lord, to apply it in their lives and the lives of others, to give it away. And Father God, I thank you for miracles and signs and wonders. I thank you, God, for turnarounds that they could never have imagined. I thank you that hope begins to arise in their heart. In Jesus' name. We thank you, God. God, as we're in an attitude of prayer, we pray also today for Sister Bertha, who's not able to be with us today because of the pain she's having in her stomach. We speak healing over her. We speak healing over Zach Westmoreland, Father God, who needs a miracle. We know that you're a miracle worker. And, Lord, we believe you for that. Lord, we're glad to see Amanda with us today. Father God, I thank you she's going to get better and better every day. And we just give you praise and glory and honor for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you. Hope you have a wonderful afternoon. We do have service back here tonight at 6, and we hope to see you then. Be blessed.